This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Dan Zink as he considers how to help couples flourish. Dr. Dan Zink is a professor of counseling at Covenant Theological Seminary. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2021 General Assembly. Let's listen as Dan Zink provides insights on how to help couples flourish. I'm going to talk about three or four big ideas to help us focus on how do relationships really work best. Okay? And... There's a, in the previous slide, a very ambitious subtitle. This is for like everybody. You know, teachers, counselors, pastors, couples. That pretty much covers everyone here at least once and probably twice or maybe even three times. Um, So that there's some work that you're going to have to do to wrestle with. I'm going to give you some ideas, but more importantly, I'm going to help you think about the process of being in a relationship how that actually works, what that actually looks like. That's a very different way of thinking. Uh, Mostly we kind of think if we get the facts straight, then we'll be all set to help people. What we're thinking is we get the facts straight, we can help people solve their problems. But basically what I'm going to be talking about today is solving people's problems really doesn't get you very far. What you really need to do is solve the cycles that are happening in their relationship. Hopefully that'll make a little bit of sense as we talk about these three or four ideas and then put them together and we'll see a couple of uh, examples through the videos of what that looks like. First of all, created for connection. That is both the topic, the big all caps letter word there, connection, and it's a resource. There's a book, the title is Created for Connection, written by Sue Johnson, uh, the founder of Emotionally Focused Therapy for Couples, and her co-author for this book, uh, Ken Sandifer, um, so that the book is the Hold Me Tight, the original book written by Sue Johnson, version for Christian couples. So Hold Me, uh, Connected for Connection is a book that will Um, There's another place that you can think about some of the things I'm going to talk about today briefly. Um, uh, More for yourself. 
you've heard created for connection positively stated, and you've also heard it most of your life, I think, for, or for a long time, uh, said by God in a negative way, it's not good for man to be alone. Unfortunately, we don't spend much time thinking about what's not good about that or what's good about that. What I'm suggesting you think about and dwell on and, and take in and let it shape the work, the way that you work with people is the fact that we're made for relationship. We're made for connection. And that relationship is not just the context within which we live and grow. It's also the means through which we grow. It's the means through which we become more fully human, actually. And connection is a process. When you learn about processes, you have to really think about, figure out, how do I enter into this? How do I pay attention to what's happening at all different kinds of levels as I'm relating to this person that I'm with? In a very real sense, to think about process is to think about what's happening in the space in between the two of us. Now it starts to sound like those college professors when I was in college back in the late 60s and early 1970s. Um, it's like, what? What does that mean? Well, it's, it's trying to find language to the relationship that exists between two people and what's actually happening, not just the thoughts and the content, but our experience of each other. So I'm going to give you an example of a mom with her infant. This is called the still-faced experiment. You can see the YouTube link there. Babies this young are extremely responsive to the emotions and the reactivity and the social interaction that they get from the world around them. This is something that we started studying oh, 34 years ago when people didn't think that infants could engage in social interaction. In the still face experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and she's playing with her baby who's about a year of age. I like girl. Oh. And she gives a greeting to the baby. The baby gives a greeting back to her. Yeah. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions, what they want to do in the world. And that's really what the baby is used to. And then we ask the mother to not respond to the baby. The baby very quickly picks up on this. And then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. She points because she's used to the mother looking where she points. The baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, what's happening here? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on, why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes when they don't get the normal reaction. They react with negative emotions. They turn away. They feel the stress of it. They actually may lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing. 
It's a little like the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good is that normal stuff that goes on, that we all do with our kids. The bad is when something bad happens, but the infant can overcome it. After all, when you stop the still face, the mother and the baby start to play again. The ugly is when you don't give the child any chance to get back to the good. There's no reparation, and they're stuck in that really ugly situation. What I have here is pieces of what Edward Tronick said, Trotnick said, that I've changed the language a little bit to uh, put in the context of adults relating to each other. Because what you observed where they're connecting, by the way, there's not much language, obviously. This about one-year-old doesn't have words. But Trotnick still says, it's like she says, come on, why aren't we doing it? And as you watched it, you didn't go, well, she didn't say that. You said, yeah, right. Because it's much more than the words in a relationship and what's being interchanged here. But then they help, they uh, challenge the mother, they tell the mother to interrupt that cycle, that cycle of connection, and create a cycle, a side of the cycle that's disconnection. And then they show you what happens when there's repair. That cycle, connection, disconnection, repair, if it comes, it doesn't always, and what does Trotnick say? Then you're stuck in a really ugly situation. That is the picture of every relationship, every marriage relationship, all of them, every one of them. That's the picture. The key is to be able to repair the disconnection so that we can be connected. The key is to be able to have conversations in which, rather than defending ourselves, correcting the other, or whatever it is we might be doing, that we make it more important to understand the other than protecting ourselves, whatever that might be. Now, since even Adam took that tree from the apple, where they said, uh, from the, they, that, that fruit from the tree, sorry, uh, well, that's going to get me in trouble somewhere. Um, we all struggle with, I want to do it my way. I want the focus on me. That's where I'm stuck, versus I'm more focused on the other person. That's the struggle that we have. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna read these to you. I know they're hard to read even on the screen and much harder on your little piece of paper there. People, rather than babies, are extremely responsive to the emotions and the reactivity and the social interaction in the world around them. Extremely responsive. We may not be aware of how extremely responsive we are. We tend to not pay enough attention. People in relationships are working, or people in marriages are working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions and what they want to do together in the world. That's a pretty good definition of a good marriage. By the way, that's not a destination that you arrive at, then you're set. It's a place that you have to find every day, have to renew every day. 
people very quickly pick up on them when others are not, now I've changed the language a little bit, not engaged, not responsive, and not accessible. If you read Creative for Connection, they're going to talk about A-R-E, I've reordered it, accessibility, um, responsive, engaged, as the heart of connection in marriage relationships. People use all of, uh, I left the her in there for the baby, her abilities to try and get the other back. If the normal positive things do not work, they react from their negative emotions. Not just with, but from. They're being driven by those negative emotions, the stress of the disconnection that they're experiencing. Those of you who are married, if you just think for a moment to the last argument you might have had with your spouse, I say might have had, I'm being kind, um, and just think about when the positive things weren't happening and it break, broke down, what were the negative emotions that you were reacting from? You may not, it may be kind of hard to figure out what that was about, because that's typically not where we go. That's a crucial thing to pay attention to. Um, that's actually the problem, more than whatever the problem is that we're in an argument about. Solving the problem is not the point. Solve the process. So they turn away, they withdraw, they feel the stress, they lose control of their posture. I've put it in quotes. You could say posture in terms of our position, the way we position ourselves, the way we talk, the attitudes that we express with our spouse. This person that we love more than anybody else on earth, we don't look like it when we've lost control of our posture. And when there's no reparation, perhaps the key point, they are stuck in a really ugly situation. Relationships are constant cycles. So take a look at what disconnection looks like. Song quote, for those of you who know me well, now you're not disappointed. You, know, you, you knew this was coming, I hope. Hearing is letting it happen. To listen is a work of will. Disconnection looks like letting hearing happen. Hearing and letting it happen. I'll explain that a little bit. In the process, if we're not, if, if, we're, if we're entering the side that's disconnection in the cycle, we're focusing on ourselves. Self-centered, focus in order to control or take command of the other person. And that always feels like dis disconnection for both of you. And it invites disconnection from your spouse so that you get into a pattern where you're both using your favorite style of disconnection, um, whether it be attack or defend or withdraw um, in that process. And you get stuck in that process. So hearing to defend yourself against the other person may be your go-to, maybe your default. You're hearing what they're saying, but you're not hearing what's behind it. You're not hearing their experience. That, they're, that maybe they have, don't really have a hold of. They need your help to get a hold of it. You need to help each other in order to understand what really is at issue here. Um, but so often, I'm really good at this. I'm still good at this, and we've been married 46 years. I mean, that's my starting place. I hear my wife say something that I hear as being critical of me. She might not even think of it that way. And I'm defending myself. 
Maybe some of you are like me. Or maybe some of you are like this. You're here to correct the other person. I experience that a lot where I work at Covenant Seminary. Now, Covenant's a great place to work, but we're focused on discerning the truth of Scripture and teaching that to people. And that kind of gets you in the habit of thinking that if you can just think about what's correct, you're all set for living life. Well, too bad it doesn't work that way. It sets you up to be hearing in order to hear, what do I need to correct in you? Rather than, who are you? What's going on? Why are you experiencing it that way? Why am I experiencing you the way I am? Not a question we ask very often, but it's a crucial one, especially in our marriages. Hearing to control the other person. Hearing to attack. And I've put an asterisk the other person. Attack is in the eyes of the beholder. You know, we went, oh, I don't mean, I'm not attacking you. It's like, well, if they feel like attacked, if they feel put down, if they feel demeaned, yes, you are. And what's going to help with that is actually slow down enough to own it. So disconnection. What does connection look like? Let me check my time here. Okay. Hearing is letting it happen. To listen is a work of will. Chris Smither is a wise person. By the way, I find that the artists and the musicians and the songwriters um, seem to have a better grip on some of these things uh, than some of the writers of books or people like me, the professors that are teaching stuff or reading all those books. Um, but maybe we're stuck. Another line from Chris Smither, uh, it's so hard to escape the cages that we think in. Um, he's right. So if we're connecting, we take command of ourselves in order to focus on the other person. We'll let that sink in a little bit. That when our spouse says something to us that impacts us, maybe we don't even realize that hurt. It might be, we're late coming home, a lot on our mind. That's kind of all you're aware of. You hit that back door and your spouse says, why didn't you let me know you're gonna be late? Seems like a fair question, but you might not hear it that way as a fair question. I wouldn't. I'd be ready to defend myself. Now, if, if I did it better, I'd first of all have to slow down and not just react from that negative emotion I'm experiencing. As Carol Ann says, Why didn't, what's going on? Why didn't you let me know? If I can slow down, I might start better. I might say, oh, I'm really sorry. I got caught up in stuff and I really should have. And that's a really good conversation happening. That's a confiding rather than defending or withdrawing, defending, withdrawing, or attacking. Um, Dan Weil, we'll hear more from him later, says intimacy is only a sentence away. By intimacy, he means uh, knowing each other, knowing what's happening in each other knowing each other at a deep level. It's only a sentence away. 
but it's really hard to find the sentence. It takes this, take command of yourself, slow yourself down, be aware, pay attention to you and the other person, and pay attention to what's behind the words that they just spoke. Grow your curiosity about that rather than your, I have to protect myself kind of mode. Now that, you have to sacrifice some things in that, but that's what connection looks like. So you listen to understand the other person. You start there. You listen to accept the other person and what they're saying. You listen to be open to them rather than closing down through withdrawal or attacking or defense. And listening enables that confiding. The first priority is solve the connection process, not the problem. And you do that through conversations that solve the cycles. I may skip some slides here. Emotional presence is what matters. Emotions tell us what we need and what others need if we can listen to them. We may come back to that. So we're going to watch about five minutes of a video from a guy named Dan Weil. Maybe a little bit more. And in this video, he's going to say to this couple, this is about four minutes into his conversation. It's a real couple. Um, and he has asked them, what do you want to talk about today? This is a pretty high-functioning couple, um, married about three years. He's from Denmark. She's from somewhere in America. They live in California now. And they share a little bit about, um, about six or nine months ago, she had a miscarriage. And they were dealing with that together from her perspective really well for about a week. And then he kind of went off somewhere and seemed, and she felt like she was alone in dealing with the miscarriage. And, and they present that as what they want to talk about. So Dan Weil asks a couple of questions and then he makes this statement and then we're gonna watch it from there for just a few minutes to see what he does, what this looks like. What he says is, I talk as if I'm one of you talking to the other. He'll actually move and kneel down beside the wife and talk as if he's the wife talking to the husband. And he'll do the same with the husband. Um, and I do it for various purposes, he tells us too. Sometimes just to make it clear what I'm hearing and see what you think about it, that. So he's, you'll see that he says more. He adds to what she has said or he has said to say more of what he's hearing that's behind that they're leaving unsaid. Um, and he's always tentative with that. He's always, how does that sound? Is that about right? So I'll make it clear what I'm hearing and see what you think about that. Sometimes just to see how you feel having someone else say. This is really different from the active listening that, we, that I was taught in my training as a counselor a long time ago. If someone says something, you basically are repeating the words back to them to make sure you've heard the words right. 
This is more about looking through the words and past the words to try to hear what more is involved here. What's, what's in this person's heart, that side of their mind that we tend to ignore? Um, and then he'll try that out with people. So we'll just we'll take a look at that. You can see the, Dan Well calls it being a guardian of the conversation, which is good language. You see there's a YouTube connection there. All right, well, let me do, here's the thing I do lots of times. I um, come over there and talk as if I'm one of you talking to the other. And I do it for various purposes, sometimes just to make it clear what I'm hearing and see what you think about that. Sometimes just to see how you feel having someone else say it. Um, and what you said is really very interesting, so I wanted to capture it, see if I have it right, and then see what you think about it. All right, so, so I thought, so, so what you were saying was, you're on you, mm -hmm. and you'd be saying, well, okay, right after the miscarriage, when we were close, and you were just the way I'd want you to be um, as my husband. But then after about a week, you didn't seem as upset as I was. And I can't tell, here's the part I'm adding here, I can't tell how much there's something lacking in you or, and, and I am understandably deprived, or whether I'm imposing on you my way of doing it, which I really shouldn't be doing, because maybe you're just a different type of person. All right now that's what I thought I heard. Pretty right on. Right on? Yeah. Okay. Then hearing that, what's your thought? My thought is that it's a, it's a combination of both. It, well, first of all, it, it makes me it makes me sad that I can't be there in the way that, that you need. I also think that I am not as emotional uh, by nature. And I, <clears throat> I don't think that's saying much because Clarissa is a very emotional person and it's part of what I really love about her. And also I, I can feel that I'm not not really giving in to, to the sadness. There's, it's sort of take on a, a role of being, uh, I guess, pr protective and try to, to shield Clarissa from the pain that she's feeling, and it's clearly having the opposite effect. But it's it's kind of even though I mean, sort of know that that it's, it's like my intuition or whatever it is won't allow me to say well what what really protects her and helps her takes care of her is to be is on her side of of this and. It's like that's not enough to break down the the set like the the ingrained way of of protecting and taking care of her when she's she's sad when she's having a a hard time or any anything else that I can like where she needs me to to protect her. 
I don't say that because he never protects me because he obviously takes care of me too. But like I'm, I'm trying to to give her what she needs, but it seems like even though I know what she needs, I won't let myself do that. I think he has trouble accessing the pain, whereas for me, for whatever reasons, it's really, it's like right there all the time. And I think that, I don't really know how to put this, but maybe he doesn't have the tools to access his feelings about it because I'm pretty sure he has the feelings but they seem like really buried let me make a speculative statement that was quite eloquent what you said and there are a lot of points and then your comment back so this is speculative I don't know whether I've got the heart of it or not I'm just and so for you I would say well I'll tell you right now what the deepest and most distressed feeling I'm having, which is that I'm letting you down. And I'm having a very, very hard time with that. And I'm trying to change me so that I can be more emotional, so I can be with you and not make you feel so alone. And I'm very frustrated that I haven't found a way to do that yet. Is what I um, gleaned out of what you were saying. So where is that right? Where is that wrong? I don't. Well, I think the the one thing that that I didn't like. I think it was very much right on. I didn't like the trying to change me, so I can be. I like. I it's it's kind of like I I want to naturally be close like I guess it's more not as much changing me as as like finding me and like finding my true self in me I think it's more accessing what's already there than than changing anything okay that young man talked for a long time I'm not sure how much you can understand the part of the problem was yes we have this air conditioning system, and then they had their own that kicked in uh, when he started to talk. Um, I hope you can pick it up. But he talked for a long time, and she tried to help him out too. I said, yeah, kind of, in a couple of sentences, tried to kind of say what she was getting from what he was saying. And Daniel Weil took all of that and put it into two sentences. This is what I think I heard you say. Part of that is just Daniel Weil is incredibly gifted at what he does. That he could focus and, and, and listen and take it in. I think he's, he's also thinking about what is he feeling as he's relating to these people and putting that together and trying to hear what else is he saying. Um, and then when he says to the young man, However, he says it in that instance, I forget, you know, how's that sound? The young man starts with, I don't think it's this. He corrects it, which is perfect. We're so concerned by saying the right thing 
because we're thinking our conversation with people is what leads to the change. But he's right, and the people that are thinking along with him is right, that it's their conversation and changing it and, and enhancing it that's going to lead the change in their relationship. And, and that's what you're saying. One move at a time. And I'm pretty sure that when that young man says, no, I don't think it's really I'm trying to change me. I'm trying to find me. I don't think he said, I doubt that he, in three years he said that to his wife before. Now, Daniel Wiles is going to, I'm not sure exactly, pretty soon he's going to turn to her. How do you respond to that? Well, that's an opportunity for the two of them to have a conversation that they've never had. Intimacy, greater intimacy, is only a sentence away. It's just hard to find the sentence. But what you saw is Daniel Weil enhanced the opportunity for these two to find that particular sentence. No, I don't think it's changing me. I'm trying to find me. That's profound. And what a profound thing to share with the person, your wife, who's the number one helper in that process of finding me as we relate to each other. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.